Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all this morning. As Dale said, my name is Peter. I'm one of the pastoral staff here at Gateway. And we have two congregations here in the city, one that meets here, one that meets down in South Rathgar. And it's just our privilege to be able to serve the Lord in this wonderful city and in this province that has such a call of God on it. And God has brought us here for a time like this because he wants us as a people to take our place in what he is doing in this land. And in this land of Canada and from Canada out into the nations of the earth. And the reason you're sitting here this morning is because God has encouraged you and has drawn you into that very same purpose. You might be here this morning and you might have been brought by uh, someone in the church. You might just be a guest or a visitor and you're thinking, well, Peter, I don't know why I'm sitting here. I just came just to see. Well, you're here this morning mostly because God drew you. Because he brought you here and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that plan and the purpose is what we have been talking about for the last 40 days. We've been going through a series called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And it's been great to hear back from the cell groups and some of your small groups to hear what God has been doing and how God has been leading you through these times. It's a question that everybody's been asking. We've had a lady come to our cell group. Uh, She was met by Lucy on the bus and they got on talking. And uh, the lady came to our our feast before Christmas, and then she came to the cell group, just because she's interested in what on earth am I here for? We've had some amazing discussions, uh, fascinating discussions with her, as she's tried to figure out this thing of what am I here for? And uh, opening her heart to the truth of what God is saying. It's not quite ready to give her life to Jesus yet, but she's, she's looking, she's searching. And there are many people like that in our world around us. And some of them you would never know because they look like they've got everything together. But actually underneath they're hungry. They're hungry for, for, for something more. They want to know why they're here. What is life all about? And we've been answering that question over the last 40 days. We started the series by reminding ourselves that we all have a calling and a purpose. But that calling and purpose is not found from within ourselves. It's not found in the self-help shelves of the local bookstores. It's not found on the internet. The only way that we can find what our calling and our purpose is in life is talk to our creator who made us and ask him because God knows why he made us. He formed us all, Psalm 139 tells us, in our mother's womb. We are knit together by Almighty God. He, by his own hand, sewed our lives together intricately. Not just what we were physically, but who we are as a person. Our gifts and our talents. The things that we love, the things that we enjoy doing, and the things that we don't enjoy doing so much. God knit us together in our mother's womb because he has a purpose and a plan for us. A unique purpose and a unique plan that nobody else on this planet can fulfill. Do you remember our first memory verse? Anybody can remember our first memory verse? Galatians, Galatians 1 verse 15, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Let's say that together, shall we? Galatians 1 verse 15, 
But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And we asked, well, if God has called us, how do we find out what our calling is? And we used a picture, if you remember this. We talked about picking up the phone. Pick up the phone. God is calling. Pick up the phone. Listen to what God is saying. We can listen by learning how to hear God. We can listen through reading the scriptures and the word of God. And we can listen by sharing and talking in our small groups together. And we've been doing that over the last 40 days. What did we discover when we picked up the phone? Well, the first thing we discovered was this. That our first and our primary call is to love. It's to love. Because God is love. And the reason he fashioned us and the reason he spent so much time intricately putting us together is because he loved us. He loved the thought of you before you were ever created. He's loved the thought of you from all eternity because he's been thinking about you that long. You have always been in his heart. You have always been on his mind. He loves you that much. One of the most famous passages and verses of the Bible says, For God so loved the world. That's you. That's me. That's everyone in this world. God loves us. And it's not a love that's based on what we have done because God loved us before we could do anything. It's not a love that's based on how we're performing because he loved us before we had the capacity to do and perform anything. It's not even a love that's based on whether we have rejected God and moved away from him and we've cast off his love from us and everything. God loves us before we even did any of that and his love is so rich and it's so full and it's so from everlasting to everlasting that nothing you or I can do can stop us from loving him. From him loving us. Nothing we can do can stop him from loving us. He loves us that much. And our first call is to be loved by God. To receive that love. So Peter, how do I receive that love? Well, let's carry the verse on. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. If there's something in this universe and in this created and uncreated world that God loves more than us. It's Jesus, his son. But he gave us what he loved more than anything to show us that he loves us also. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith, their trust, their hope above all things in Jesus Christ, I will stake everything on Jesus now, will not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. We receive the love of God by receiving the son of his love. We receive the love of God by receiving Jesus. And I don't know whether you've done that this morning, whether you've ever had a moment in your life when you've said, yes, 
I choose Jesus. Above every other option that I have for living, I want Jesus. Above my own way of living life, above my own thoughts and my own ideas about how my life shall pan out and what's going to happen to it, I choose Jesus. I choose his ways for me. I choose his paths for me. I choose his wisdom for me. I choose his life. And when we choose Jesus, we choose love. And the love of God flows into our hearts. And you know, if you want to reconnect with the love of God, if you feel you've drifted away from the love of God, can I suggest you ask the Lord if you are still choosing Jesus? Is there some way, Lord, that I've kind of wandered off that path? I need to choose Jesus again. I need to get back on path. I've started doing it my own way again. I've started living life out of my own power. I've started uh, making my own decisions without consulting you. I want to come back. My life is yours. I choose Jesus again. We receive love when we receive the son of his love. When we receive Jesus. And he showed his love to us. In the most powerful way, by dying on a cross for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. Nothing he'd done wrong, but he allowed himself to be crucified up there. We hung him there. And do you know what Jesus said to us while we were hanging him on that cross? While we were mocking him? While we were scourging him, while we were spitting on him with our sin and our rebellion and our rejection of all of it. You know what he said to us? Dad, would you forgive these people? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Have you heard? uh, It's grace, Gary. Have you heard those words? Do you know what it is to hear Jesus say to you? I forgive you. All your sin. All the wrong. That is love. That is pure, unconditional, amazing, eternal, everlasting love. And before we do anything, folks, we need to make sure that we are living, connected, and flowing in the love of Jesus. His love for us and our love back to him, which we call worship. Giving our love back to him, whatever our circumstances. When it's tough, yes, Jesus, I'm with you. When we're in the, in the meadows and everything's wonderful, Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. Always throwing back, putting back, releasing back our love to Jesus. That is worship and it is our highest and our greatest call. And anything else we do, In our call, if that is not alive in us, sooner or later, it becomes duty. It becomes actually dusty. And it will eventually become dry. And our first call is to keep our love alive. How do I keep my love alive, Peter? Pick up the phone. Get back In relationship with Jesus. That relationship that allows life to flow both ways. I was driving our Rachel home uh, a couple of months ago. I don't normally say things about our kids for lots of different reasons. There's wonderful things that God does in their lives sometimes. And sometimes it's a struggle. And uh, certainly a lot of the good things that have happened in their lives have not happened because of Julia and I. Uh, They've happened despite us, some of those things. 
but we were driving home from school and she had um, started basketball. She loves basketball, but she got injured and she was hurt and she wanted to be on the team and she wanted to play. But she also felt God call her to come and be part of the youth discipleship program that Will is running. And every now and again, those two things would clash. And, you know, she made a commitment to the team, so she wanted to go to the team and, and whatever. And we were driving home one day. She said, Dad, Dad, I feel God's been talking to me. I said, Dad, prick your ears up. What's, what's Dad, what's your heavenly father saying to you, Rachel? I, she said, I feel God's told me that I have to give myself to this youth discipleship program. I said, what? She said, yeah, you know, I feel I need to give up my basketball. She's crying in the car. I'm crying in the car. Jesus. It's no greater joy than seeing your children walking in the truth the Bible says. And in love. Not because I have to, not because I must, not because, you know, it's going to please my dad if I do this or whatever. But because Jesus talked to me. And I want Jesus more than anything else. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God wants for all of us. And if we've lost that, I want to encourage you to pick up the phone. Jesus, what happened to my love for you? What happened to that passion I had for you? Would you help me to get back on track? Our first and our greatest, and incidentally I had raised permission to share that this morning. It's a birthday. 16th birthday. So there you are. I get to brag on my daughter on her 16th birthday. But I'm really bragging on Jesus who reached into her life and spoke to her and gave her the grace to do what she could not do by herself. But it's not going to come out of duty now. It's not going to come out of some dusty whatever. I feel the pressure to do. No, Jesus just told me. Beautiful. We're called to love. And how do we express that love? Well, the first place that we express that love is in the family of God. You know, God designed us all initially to be brought up in a wonderful, caring, loving, unconditional love home. Where we learn to be loved first so that we're able to love others and take that love out beyond us. That was God's plan. But because of sin and because of stuff that's come into our world, all of our families now are a mixture. There are good things that happen in our families. There are lovely things that happen in our home. But even in our homes as Christians, bad things happen. Sometimes as parents, we make mistakes and we say wrong things and we do wrong things. We can scar our kids. Julia and I joked when the kids were little, only it was only a half joke, that we were going to start putting money away for their counseling. (laughs) But you know, the family of God, with all of our brokenness, is meant to be a place where people come and learn To be loved. Unconditionally. Without reservation. Not based on performance. Just loved. Because Heavenly Father loves them. And so God calls us to belong 
to his family. That is our second core, belonging to the family of God. And some of you have been experiencing that in your small groups. And it's a wonderful thing. Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 2 and verse 19 saying, you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Turn to someone next to you, a couple of people on either side and say, you belong here. You belong in God's family when you become a Christian, not because you feel like you're a part of God's family, but because you are a part of God's family. My children might not feel like they're part of my family sometimes. They might not want to be part of my family sometimes. Some of the jokes I tell, they would choose to be in anybody else's family. But they're part of our family Because they were birthed through us and God has joined us together as a family together. And God, you might be adopted into a family and God's joined you that way. And we are joined into God's family when we give our lives to him, when we choose Jesus. He adopts us into his family. It's not a feeling, it's a truth. You belong in God's family. You have a place here, regardless of where you're at. Regardless of how well you think you're functioning, you have a home here. And we want to create an atmosphere where everybody feels loved unconditionally. But family is work. Have you figured that one out yet? You have to work at family. You have to work at relationships. You have to work at sharing with each other and and connecting. It doesn't just happen. You've got to work at it. And so our encouragement is to build our relationship with God firstly as our father and then to build relationships with each other. What do those relationships look like? Well, God says, if you want to have fellowship with me, you've got to walk where I walk. Okay, God, where where do you walk? Well, I walk, says God, in the light. And if you want to have fellowship with me, you need to walk in the light where I am. And if as a family together, we want to walk together in the way that God has for us, then we need to walk where God is. We need to walk in the atmosphere that he walks in, which is walking in the light. What does that mean, Peter? Well, it means being open and transparent. Not putting on a show, putting on your Sunday best, making it look good for people. But in being yourself. That's what it means. It means sharing your weaknesses as well as your strengths. You know, we've just been away on a, on a pastor's retreat with our Salt and Light family. It's our family. It's part of, we're a family of families. The family of God is a family of families. It always was. If you look back to the, the, the patriarchs and, and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, it's a family of families. And we were meeting together with part of our family. And one of the things that we do together, and it's great what God is doing incidentally in our family of churches in the central region here of North America. But as we are sharing together, the different pastors get up and share about what's going on in their congregations. And you know what the temptation is? Right? Yeah, absolutely. We're doing great. It's wonderful. Everything's fine and rose. And you know, you want to share encouraging things or whatever. But, but, but that's the temptation. Rather than what's real. 
What's really happening? What's going well? You know what? There are lots of good stuff. There's wonderful stuff happening. And here's some good stuff, and this will encourage you. We also have our challenges. We have, we have stuff that we struggle with. And if you don't have brothers and sisters that you can share your struggles with, then you're not making the best use of the family of God. I'm talking about the deep stuff. When I came from England back in 1992, seems like a long time ago now, 29 years old, some of you remember me then. Um, When I came from England, I'd been part of the charismatic movement in England and in a little way it had started there were all these wonderful things were happening I've been part of a church plant helping to plant the church and we'd seen God move in amazing and wonderful ways we'd seen power in the Holy Spirit seen people healed amazingly healed people saved amazingly saved but I ended up at the end of all of that hungry hungry for something more and you think, Peter, what, what more could you have? You, you're part of a, of a church family where there's all these miracles and wonders and, and a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. What do you want more? You know what I wanted more? I wanted real relationship. I wanted to be able to sit down with a bunch of guys and say, this is what I'm wrestling with. And what I saw was a lot of people really having a wonderful time in the Holy Spirit and a lot of stuff going on, which was great. But every now and again, some of them would crash and burn. And they would crash and burn because wonderful times in the Holy Spirit don't get to the character issues in your heart. They can touch things. They can shape things on the outside. They can minister love into you and grace into you or whatever. But you only really get to the stuff inside that needs to be got to if you walk in real, living, honest, vulnerable relationships with other people. And we talked about that when we talked about discipleship. Because belonging to the family of God is part of the way That we can become more like Jesus. It helps us to grow into the person of Jesus Christ that we were created to be. You know we were created to be made in the image of God. All of us. And that whole process went south when sin came into the world. But you know God's not done with that. Making us into his image. And the process that he uses for making us into his image is this process of, we call it discipleship. Jesus called it discipleship. Yes, it's hearing God and having a wonderful relationship with God, but it's real people having real, honest, vulnerable relationships with other real people, sharing our struggles and helping each other out of where we're at. I was talking to a a group of young people the other day. And we were talking about discipleship. And, and I could see as soon as we started talking about it, the immediate reaction was, oh no, not discipleship again. Because they've been getting a lot of that recently. And so I said, Holy Spirit, what do I, what do I talk about here? And here's where we, where we got to. Why, why do you want to be d- discipled? Put, put a list down on a bit of paper of all the things that you would be, like to be discipled about. Think about that. I mean, you think about that right now. What would I like to be discipled and helped with? Might be your business. 
might be as a father, might be as a husband, it might be different. Many of us have ideas of things in our lives that we would like to be changed. I'd like to be better at this, I'd like to do a better job of this or whatever. And we can make our own little lists. And then I said to them, the reason that you need to be in a discipleship relationship is not because of what's on your list. It's because of what's not on your list. We all have blind spots. I was driving downtown the other day and I was turning, you know, you go down Portage and you turn onto, right onto St. Mary's there in, in this city centre. So I turn on, I'm in one lane and I move from one to the other. I've been looking in my mirrors, I thought there was no one. Suddenly there's this honk of a car and I must have missed this car by a fraction. It had come around the outside of me and I had not seen it coming. Why had I not seen it coming when I was looking? When I, well, because I have a blind spot. That means there's a place in my rear view mirror that something can sit as big as a car and I will not see it unless I look over my shoulder, which is why they tell you to look over your shoulder. We all have blind spots. All of us. And it's our blind spots that cause the accidents. That's what causes the car crashes. It's not what you see because you're aware of those things sometimes and you're fighting to look after them and make sure that, that you're, that you're um, finding ways to overcome them. It's what you can't see that takes you out. And what I wanted when I came to Canada was somebody to help me see my blind spots because I realized that however, whatever gifts and talents I had, I was going to be a train wreck because I had some experiences of things. Unless someone got to grips with these character issues in me and helped me to see my blind spots and get free. And I'm so grateful for Gateway. I'm so grateful for Ron. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share. And my brothers that we share with and able to share with you that help me to see blind spots. Because those are the things that will take you out. And if you want to grow and become more and grow into the fullness of what God has for you, you need to learn what those things are. So you're aware of them and you've got people helping you to see what you do not see. That's why we need discipleship. And that's what helps us to become more like Jesus. Here's a question for you. Are you more loving than you were last year in your home? Are you more joyful? Are you more peaceful? Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you more faithful? Are you more gentle? Are you more self-controlled? Are you? Am I? Because my call is to become like Jesus. Therefore, year by year, that should be the testimony. But how is that going to happen? That happens in real, honest relationships. You weren't gentle, what you just did. Well, I thought I was. Yeah, you thought you were. But you've got a blind spot. You don't realize how when you speak like that, what it does to the people that are listening. 
Really? Really? What, it hurts you? Yeah, it hurts me. Really? Yeah, really. Well, I don't mean to hurt you. I know you don't mean to hurt, but you have got a blind spot. You get so tunnel visioned about something and you get so going down that track that, that the people around you, sometimes you don't realize it. They just get bumped and shuffled around and you don't even, you don't even realize it. Well, if I'm going to grow in gentleness, I need to know that. I need somebody to tell me. It's not nice being told. I never like being told I'm doing something that's hurting people. Do you like being told that? But you know what? I want to be told. Because I don't want to hurt anybody and neither do you. I want to be told because I want to be more like Jesus. Amen? We know that in all things... Will read out to us out of Romans 8.28. God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. So that he might become the firstborn of many brothers. God uses everything that goes on in our lives. If we will let him. Everything. Including our sins. To help us become like Jesus. But I don't know if you're like me. I need people to help me make sense of what God is doing in my life. I can't figure it out myself. Lord, I'm going through a horrible time. I don't know what's going on. I need people to help me figure it out. And help conform me into the person of Jesus Christ. We're called to be loved. We're called to belong. In the family of God, we're called to become As people of God, we're called to look like Jesus. We're called to serve. Dale explained that each one of us, see in a family, in a family, what's it like if you've got a family member that sits on the couch when all the washing up needs to be done? It's a pain, isn't it? And you know, sometimes people are sick and, 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 and that's all right. But you know what it's like when you're trying to teach your kids this stuff. And it's like you have to almost push them into it all the time. And it's like, I wish you'd get it. That, that you'd walk in and you'd see a mess and you'd think, this is my home. I'm responsible to help clean it tidy. I didn't make it, but I'm going to help clean it up. Wouldn't that be a great attitude to have in all of us? Because, you know, in a family... We all have responsibility in that family to help that family function well. Can you see that? Sitting on the couch while everybody else is doing stuff. You know what that feels like. And there's times you need to sit on the couch, incidentally. There's times you're hurting and there's stuff that's happened in your life. God bless you. Sit on the couch. Be relaxed or whatever. But God has called us to serve together in the family of God. What is your place? Where are you supposed to serve? We read out of Ephesians 2 verse 10 where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has created us in a certain way. And Ken explained, he's given us a certain DNA. And that DNA is unique. There's nobody else on this planet that has ever had the same DNA that you have had. Have you been doing these gifts tests? And you sit down with people and and everybody's different. 
That's how God makes things. Everything's unique and different and it's wonderful. And we all have a unique gift to bring. And if you don't bring your gift, that's one instrument in the symphony that is not playing. And you know. You might not know when it's not playing, but when it's all playing together, you know. It's like, oh, wow. Now the music's playing. It's important to find out what those gifts are and operate in them. Thank you. We've had over 170 people so far take those gifts tests. And if you haven't done them, I want to encourage you to do them. And get your kids to do them. You'll discover things that will be really helpful, actually. Even in how to operate within your own personal home. Never mind how to operate as a family of church together. I have a picture when I was thinking about the sermon this morning that I wanted to share with you. And it's something that, um, it's a very simple uh, picture, but sled dogs are amazing animals. I don't know whether you are interested in, uh, in the dynamics of sled dogging, but ever since I was a kid, uh, I, I've had a fascination with it. And I don't know why. I used to read these stories about Canada when I was little. It's amazing how God prepares you for what he has for you. And the idea of being out in a sled team with dogs and whatever, just something about that was exhilarating for me. Now, I hate the cold, so I don't know how I'd manage. But anyway, (laughs) sled dogs are amazing animals. But you know you have to find the right place for each dog on a sled dog team. If you're going to run the Iditarod, which is that... 1,150 mile run in Alaska that they do with their sled dogs. You've got to know how to work your dogs. The fastest time of that race is eight days, 22 hours. That's the fastest time that they run that. It runs to 13 days or 14 days or whatever. Times like that. Sometimes it's amazing because after eight days or nine days, you wouldn't think it would be a close race. But in 1978, one dog's team won by one second. That's how close it was. You've got to know how to work your dogs. Let me tell you a little bit about the the physics of a sled dog team. So each sled dog, each sled dog team has lead dogs. You might have one dog or two dogs that lead the team. They might need to be fast and intelligent must be able to set the pace, a good pace, and direct the team effectively. They're the ones that most people know about. But then the next line of dogs back are called swing dogs. Swing dogs. And the reason they're called swing dogs is not because they dance in a certain way, but because of their role on the team. And these dogs are a bit of a pain to the lead dogs. Because if you're a lead dog, you're plowing away down the trail and whatever. And then every now and again, you can feel this tug off to the side. And you think, what's that? We're meant to be running in this direction. And now I'm feeling a tug. And I'm feeling a tug the other way. And you, you want to send a message back to the dogs behind you. Hey, stop pulling in a different direction. Let's all pull together. But what you're feeling is the swing dog. And the swing dog is doing what the swing dog is supposed to do. Because the swing swing dog's role is to get you round corners. And they will pull you out and pull you round. And they will pull the whole team round. So those dogs are a little more likely to be the sort of dogs that won't just follow the trail just because the trail's in front of them. They may be a little bit think out of the box. Maybe they go in a little bit of a different direction. But if you don't have a swing dog, you're in trouble. 
And I'm sure there's a lot of lead dogs who would love to get rid of their swing dogs and just have everybody keep going in a nice straight line. But it's not going to work for you if you do. If you can have the humility and grace to receive the message that the swing dogs are giving you, you can flow much better down the path that there is for you. And right at the back of the team, there are the wheel dogs. These dogs are the biggest and the strongest dogs on the team. They might be at the back, but if you don't have wheel dogs, you're not going anywhere. You might be stuck in the ice somewhere in your sled, slept overnight or whatever, and you're getting to go and you get them up and you say mush. Some dogs have got to take the weight of that sled and pull it out of the ice. That's your wheel dogs. And they love it. They stick their shoulder into that thing and they push and boom, up we go. And not only do they get the sled going, but when the wheel dogs have taken you around a turn, you need dogs that are going to hold that sled up to make sure it's not going to tip over. And when they come out of the turn, they're going to have to yank the whole thing straight again to make sure that's your wheel dogs. And that's what they do. And then in between the swing dogs and the wheel dogs, you have your team dogs. You can have up to 10 of them or whatever. And many more team dogs you have, the faster you can roll. But everybody needs to find, every dog needs to find a place on the team. And that's really what we've been doing here over the last 40 days. Pick up the phone. Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I shaped? How have you connected me? What are you doing in my life? And where do you want me in this team? And as I was thinking about this, you might not be the same as me, but I'm involved in a number of different levels of things whether it's in the city or, or, or Salt Lake Central or whatever, and I'm in a different place on the team in just about everything I'm in. So sometimes I'm, I'm a lead dog, but sometimes I'm a swing dog. I'm in a meeting and I've got no leadership there, I'm not whatever, but I've just got my antenna up, Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? Is there something you want, somewhere you want to take us or whatever? Sometimes it feels like I'm a wheel dog. Somebody else is figuring out what they're going to do and where we're going to do. And, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there and help you make it happen. I'm going to get this sled rolling. Boom. And off we go. I don't know where you're on the team, but you're all on the team somewhere. Because if we are going to move into the fullness of all that God has for us, we need to be linked together, knit together, relationships, that is, real relationships, real connections, moving together into the purposes that God has for us. Probably the most famous sled dog in Canada is a dog called Balto. Some of you might have seen the movie. And I was laughing about it because when I think about Balto, all I can think of is a camel. For those of you who know Bethlehem Live. But back in 1925, the doctors in the remote city of Nome, Alaska, came across a terrible crisis. They discovered diphtheria in the town of Nome, Alaska. And in those days, it was deadly. And if you didn't deal with that diphtheria, the whole town would get wiped out. Because there was a blizzard blowing and nobody could go anywhere. They couldn't get a plane off the ground. They couldn't connect with any other towns. Nobody knew how to get out and how to get what they needed because what they needed was a serum that was 700 miles away in Anchorage. And if they didn't get to that serum in short order, the whole town would have been wiped out. So what they did was they put together a group of different sled teams. And they ran these dogs 
through howling blizzards and freezing gales all the way down to Anchorage. Two days out, they were down to their last lead dog. And this last lead dog was the dog called Balto. Balto was not the sharpest of lead dogs. Balto was not even the fastest of lead dogs. But Balto wouldn't give up. And what he lacked in talent, and what he lacked in skill, and what he lacked in speed, he more than made up for in just sheer grit, determination, and perseverance. And he kept going for two days through fierce blizzards in freezing cold, whiteout conditions, plowing, 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 leading his team through. They got the serum. They got the serum back to Nome, Alaska, and the town was saved. You know, I don't think we're necessarily the sharpest team out there. I mean, just being honest. I don't know that we're always necessarily the most skillful. But I want to say something about you. You have incredible grit, determination, courage, perseverance. This whole expansion process, really, it would, have, it would have crushed a lot of other churches. They wouldn't have been able to cope with it. What? Transcona Country Club? Now, now what we're doing? We're doing an expansion here. Oh, now is God saying something? They're like, what on earth are you thinking? What are you, what's going on? What's happening here? What sort of leadership is this? It's a great question. I don't know if we were the first people God wanted to do Bethlehem live with. We might not have been, you know. God might have gone somewhere else first. But when it came down to it, God knew that you guys would rise to it. And for 10 years, you've pulled that sled. Carrying the serum of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to a city and a province that if it does not get it, will die. People will die if they don't get the gospel. But God has called us as a people. There's a calling on our lives and nobody else can do it. No other church in this city, no, because we have a place in a family and there's a call of God on our lives. And we don't have to be the best at what we think we do. We don't have to be the best preachers. We don't have to be the smartest leaders. We, don't, we just have to be willing. We have to be available and we have to be prepared to work together in real, honest, vulnerable relationships, pulling in the same place together, following our lead dog, Jesus Christ, into what Jesus has for us. Because God wants us to take our place in his purposes and in his plans. He wants to bring the good news, the serum, the gospel to the lost people of this province, of this city. And he's going to use us to do that. We have a calling of God in our lives. 
And we finished up the whole process of the 40 days by talking about that, the preaching of the gospel. And it's been great this week to hear some stories of people who've been stepping out and preaching the gospel. Somebody down at university got their classmates together and gave them the gospel. Somebody else sitting in the room here working over at a store over on Regent. There's one other person in the store and they're blind and he asks them if he can pray for them. And he prays for them right there in the store. Somebody else in this room this morning who was on a, on a holiday in uh, in Cuba and I said what was the best part of your holiday and he said the best part of my holiday was when I got to sit on a catamaran out in the ocean and talk to someone and share Jesus with someone that's what we're here for we're here to bring the good news of Jesus to this province and to this nation and to the people around us that's the calling of God on our lives so Peter where do we go from here Picked up the phone. Lord, you've been speaking to us. Well, here's my first encouragement. Don't hang up the phone. If you're like me, it's like, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? Well, I want you to do this. Great, thanks, Lord. Boom, off you go. You're halfway down the road and you think, well, wait a minute. Am I going in the right direction? What was the timing on that issue? Am I supposed to take someone with me? <laughs> Back to the phone. Okay, Lord, um... Sorry, I got a little carried away there. Um, who do you want me to go? When? when? Yeah, great, great, thanks. Okay, off, off we go. Boom. And, I, and two days later, it's like, um, now what? Stay on the phone. God wants a relationship with us, a real relationship. This Hearing God seminar, if, you, if you're not hearing God regularly, I want to encourage you to go to that Hearing God seminar. We don't know where to go if he doesn't tell us. We don't know how to go. We don't know who to go with. We don't know when to go. We don't know what to take with us. Unless we stay on the line. And you know our ears get plugged. Yeah, you can have been walking with the Lord for years and heard God for years and years and years. And your ears can get plugged. That's why it's good to keep going, get your ears cleaned out. You can hear God better. Stay on the line. Maybe you picked up the phone and you haven't heard anything yet. Or maybe you don't think you've heard anything yet. I want to encourage you to share that with somebody and get people to pray with you. Come out to the Hearing God seminar. Do the gifts test. If you haven't done it yet, do it. What do I do with the gifts test, Peter, if I've done the gifts test? Here's what you do with the gifts test. When you've done the gifts test, go to the website. Brand new today. In the website is a place where you can go and look at all the opportunities there are in our family here to serve. Some of them are within the family and some are outside into other areas. There's all sorts of interesting things in there. A coordinator for hospital visitations. Respite worker for some of our folks that have kids on a Sunday morning. That if they don't have someone looking after the kids, they can never participate in worship. They just need someone for half an hour to help look after their children. People to help us with bringing people in through the doors and making people feel welcome. There's all sorts of opportunities in there. And if you're thinking, this is my gifts, this is what I have, and I want to know how to put them into use, go onto the website and take a look and see what there is there and see where you can fit into what God is doing. Where are you on this sled dog team? Figure it out. Let God speak to you. 
Talk to people around you about your results. You know, when you read those results, I don't know about you, but I get some of them and then others will think, that's not me. That happened to you? Well, I want to encourage you to do two things before you make up your mind that it's not you. Ask your spouse if it's you. Ask your kids if it's you. Ask the people you work with if it's you. And if it is, you might have a blind spot. (laughs) However, the gifts aren't always totally accurate either. So don't live with something. You know, some people got these things about being a certain type of administrator, an overseer or whatever. And part of it was you really don't, basically you don't care about people. You just care about getting the job done. And they're like, I'm not like that. I care about people. So have a chat with somebody. Do I care about people? Yes, you care about people. So this isn't relevant. Well, actually, no, it is relevant. How can that be relevant? But I care about people. Because when you get so focused on what you're doing, it doesn't feel like you care about people anymore. It feels like you care more about getting your task done than you do about the people around you. No. It's a blind spot. Yes. That's how it feels to be around you. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. How can I do that then? How can I be really focused and get the job done and make the people around me feel loved? They feel like they're working with Jesus rather than they're working with (laughs) a wild old man with a hammer who just keeps hammering away and you might get hit because you're too close. Talk to people. Share. Encourage each other. Maybe you haven't picked up the phone because you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all this morning. Well, he wants one with you. And we're just going to bow our heads right now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to do that right away. We're going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud. You can pray it along with me. I'm going to encourage those of you who know the power of this prayer to pray it with me at the same time. And let's ask the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, to come into our lives, to cleanse our sin, to wash us, to forgive us. And then we want to give our lives to him because we want to live for him now. And it may be that for you this morning, I think I've told you before, I've been saved a number of times. I mean, I gave my life to Jesus when I was young and, and um, he took that seriously. I believe that's when I was saved. But I've had to come back a few times, many times, and repent. Lord, I've got into my own ways again. Lord, I've stopped living life for you. I've started living it for me again. And boy, Lord, I'm sorry. Maybe that's you this morning. You pray this prayer along with me as well. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for creating us and making us to love you. Lord, we're sorry for the wrong things we've done. Sorry for rejecting that love. And sorry for trying to live life our way. Lord, this morning we want to repent. We want to change direction. Please forgive me of my sin. Please wash me and cleanse me. And Lord Jesus, I want to give you my life right now.
Would you lead me and guide me? Every day. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be the greatest treasure of my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.